Today is November 4th, and we are joined by a special guest host today, David Cohn, toe in the slab. Yes, Network pitched a little bit too. Let's do it. Let's talk Yanks. Talking Yanks with old John Boyd. John Boyd Jake. Recaps galore. Hello and welcome to episode 669 of Talking Yanks. Wow. And it's a truly special one. I think we're going to have a couple guest hosts coming up while uh, the John Baby situation is going down. We've heard nothing from but good news from Jim, but he has a lot going on right now. So we are joined by newest member of John Boy Media. Toe in the slab, David Cone. Coney, how we doing, man? I'm doing good, Jake. Glad to be on with you. Glad to, to pinch hit here. I'm 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 in the chair. I mean, yeah, I think we we might be just when you thought we were done with pitchers pinch hitting. Uh here we are. We we brought ours in. The 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 DH isn't implemented yet. Uh Coney stoked, obviously. Uh I was uh a second ago, having trouble just looking at the camera because I'm like, holy smokes, Coney's here. Uh, and your best friend, BBD, always producing his butt off. Uh, yes, we love BBD. He's great. He he gives me at least one belly laugh every every couple of months, uh, you know, on Twitter. He'll say something or throw something obscure out there, and he gets me every time. I don't know. I, I, just, I guess I just get his sense of humor. You know, kindred spirits or something, you know? It's a David <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, there you go. It's a David thing. I think we got to the bottom of it. Uh, Coney, how are you, man? How's the off season treating you so far? I know you've been moving. You've been doing a lot of things. How, how are you? Things are good. You know, we uh, finished up, had a long season on the yes network. And as you guys know, uh, it was, it was quite a season, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of streaks, dramatic streaks, both ways, you know, wondering who, you know, who are these Yankees? What, what, what kind of team are they really trying to pick it apart? And, but it's still at the end of the day, it's a lot of fun. Look at us. You know, we get to sit here. In the middle of the day and talk about the Yankees all year round. That's that's a pretty good deal there, Jake. You know, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I uh, you know, I I have a few moments every year where it's uh, you know, before this, I I don't think I've I've talked to you too much about it, but my my electrical supply distribution career I was in before this wasn't as fun. Uh, yeah, it was a couple fun days. I had some fun. Uh, mostly off the field fun on those days, but I'm excited, man. I'm excited to talk about. Uh, the new show you have, Toe in the Slab. I mean, Shackle came through the office the other day. It was kind of funny. We had a uh, a, a live three-and-a-half-hour mandate kind of broadcasted to the world, and it was like, all right, I think we're going to get along, are we? Uh, and we did. That That was a blast. And, dude, Smythe's, Smythe's always the best, uh, one of the better Twitter follows out there. So you got a good squad. We do, you know, we, we were trying to, to narrow our focus. You know, everybody's got ideas for a great podcast, right? We're going to talk baseball. We're going to talk a particular team or we're going to talk uh, just any topic at all. But to really narrow in on pitching, the pitching side of things, uh, to me, uh, just made sense. It seems like uh, pitching is dominating. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I like your blitz ball game so much. Mm. I mean, 
that's a pitching dominated game if there ever was one, right? The blitz ball, some of the stuff you throw is pretty impressive, Jake. So, well, you know, it's tough to hit. I love it. I love pitching. I live, breathe, and eat pitching. So, you want to know something about pitching? Then you know we're the we're the spot to come. Toe in the slab. We're going to have something. Hopefully, maybe tell you something you don't know every now and then. Yeah, and it was a pretty pretty cool flex. Wayno, Adam Wainwright coming on. I mean, that was some of those conversations. I uh, I obviously love some of the the nerd side of baseball, probably more than I lead on. Uh, his conversation about fastballs, like that is my my baseball lane. Like Adam Wainwright talking about now how he throws the three different kinds of fastballs and how he learned about all of that. And, you know, he, he was kind of giddy. The way you get giddy about pitching, talking about how he's excited he's never been able to throw three fastballs in a row because his fastball was never good enough. Now, using those metrics, he can, and it's like giving him new life on the mound. It's it's awesome stuff. It is. You know, he's a great guy to talk to because he gets both sides of it. He's an old-school guy, pitched 200 innings at 40 years old, over 200 innings, and he did that by kind of the old-school way of pitching to contact at times, to throwing the sinker down, getting ground balls, and having good defense behind him as well. I mean, St. Louis Cardinals played great defense. So when you put a guy like Adam Wainwright on the mound, with the know-how that he has, with that defense behind him, that's how you're going to pitch 200-plus innings and be the leader of the staff like he was at 40 years old. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited, man. It's it's the tip of the iceberg with that, that show rolling now. I know you guys have hinted at some big guests in baseball, some big guests that would speak to Yankees fans. Um, I won't, won't give anything away, but um, it's awesome. And I, I think uh, – you know, I know we obviously have a love fest, you and the Davids, with your connection and the Yes Network and everything we're doing. But um, I think it's it's going to be awesome baseball content. It's going to be um, people are ready for that bridge to be connected of, you know, so, the analytics. And that's what you do so good on the broadcast that it doesn't have to be scary. It can it can be broken down and spoken in baseball language. And that's I think the sport needs that because it's so much of the game now. Yeah, it's all in the interpretation. You know, a lot of things get written off. If you're a if you're a really good baseball fan and you've been around, you know, you're of a different demographic, shall we say? You're 50 plus years old and you're used to your baseball a certain way. Uh, you 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 it's easy for you to get turned off when you start hearing numbers thrown at you or new school metrics thrown at you. But there is some there are some common denominators. The the it's it's all in the interpretation, Jake. And you hit the nail on the head right there. That's where. I'm trying to come in and fill that gap and say, you know what? You can put it, you, how much weight to give each of these metrics is up to you. It, you know, as a baseball fan, trust your eyes, use your eyes, trust but verify. Look at these metrics we have now, and you can evaluate every pitch now. If what you think you see with your eyes, you can go and you can back it up and look at the numbers and and see how it measures, uh, whether it's the break on a slider compared to the average break or anything you want to look at with regards to pitching. You know, it's there for you, and it's easy to be interpreted as long as you give it a chance, as long as you don't go over their head too quickly. And and to me, I've always thought, Jake, if I don't really understand it fully, then I can't explain it fully, so I should probably stay away from it. And that's kind of how I do it on the Yes Network. It's boilerplate stuff. If there's a lane for me to go down and kind of get nerdy a little bit, I'll do it here and there, but I pick my spots. It's beautiful. Uh, Coney, let's uh, – this is talking Yanks, uh, and I'm I'm excited – to talk some Yanks with you, and you know, we'll obviously we do it in our fun way here. But uh, 
It's a big year coming up. Before we do that, I, I do have to tell the people about DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, DraftKings, they've been with us for a while now. They're always giving a crazy deal. BBD, is this is this the right one? This is a World Series one, which feels like is over, but... Um, yeah, so maybe that deal isn't valid. <laughs> it's what I have. Okay. So. Okay, well, go to DraftKings.com. They always have a crazy promotion going on. Their last one is $1 if you bet on the game and either team got a hit. You got $100 in free bets. So if you're looking to get in the game, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place to do it. Uh, If DraftKings isn't available in your state yet, they still have their DraftKings Daily Fantasy stuff. Go check them out there. And if it is, they've got their same-game parlays. It boosts the odds, and that's how you can win the real money there. It's safe, secure, and reliable. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code JOMBOY. And you can bet $1 on any game. <laughs> well, this was the World Series, and if they got a hit, you got 100 We'll get you the there's updated always, promo. There's always some deal like that. Yeah, you know? we'll get you promo code JOHNBOY, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or PA only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Um, all right, we got that out of the way. Um Coney, I do. I, I want to ask a question about kind of you know this past season. We it's it's time to look forward. The off season's here. The World Series over, and I mean, there's you can only dwell on stuff for so long, and it gets you anywhere. But when you look back at this season, and it's you know they were kind of in the slog a little bit. They make the trades, and they get the lefties, and they got a little more athletic, and they won, and then they're. They drove us a little nuts again, and then and then the hope is there. Oh, David Cohn just disappeared from the screen. Oh, we got him back. Um, I, I don't know. I guess when your brain at this point, a couple weeks have passed, and you look back at 2021, where, where does your head jump to with these Yankees? Kind of like what we just saw, right? Like a blank screen for a minute or for a <laughs> second or two. That's like the Yankee season. They were either really hot. And then all of a sudden they went blank. You yeah. know, they, the, the screen went black for a while. So that, that really describes the Yankee season. It, it was very streaky. Uh, you know, a couple of things uh, that, that you find out after the season or towards the end of the season that explain a couple of things. One, DJ LeMahieu dealing with a core issue yeah. uh, probably for the majority of the year, which explains a lot in terms of his slugging percentage compared to what he was the first couple of years as a Yankee and what we saw last year. It probably was related to that injury got surgery and, and hopefully fixed it and hopefully you get, get him back next year and going. Um, it, to me, it's, it's, it reminded me, Jacob, back in the, the 1980s and early 90s when I played for the Mets, the lineup was constructed just with hitting in mind. Players were out of position. Defense suffered. You know, at one point we had Howard Johnson, who was a third baseman playing shortstop. We had Juan Samuel. Who they got? Who they ended up traded Lenny Dykstra for back in the day to have him play center field? He was originally a second baseman. We had all kinds of guys playing out of position. Mackie Sasser was an infielder who they made a catcher who couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher. He had the yips <laughs> trying to throw the ball back to the pitcher. It was just a mess all the way across the field. And when you start playing players out of position, especially up the middle, and now we found out playing Glaber Torres at shortstop just didn't work. It was a yeah. mistake. And, and they paid the price for it, and it impacted him in ways we may not even know at this point, but certainly emotionally, um, offensively. We, and we'll find out next year if he bounces back playing second base, whether Glaber Torres and that experiment at, at shortstop, uh, how much that really hurt him. So, you know, in my mind, Jake, it's 
there was a there's a glitch. There's a little bit of a glitch in their construct, you know, in their construction on and defense and playing players out of position always to me is a big deal. And it hurt the Yankees this year, I think. Collectively, players playing out of position, defense, and then uh, the, taking their defense uh, with them at the plate, and it hurt them offensively as well. There, because uh, I know we we had it on here, a little different scale, but there had to be a couple nights after some of those games where you and Kester turned to each other and like, what is going on? Um, it was just bizarre at times. Yeah, well, it really was. There were a few plays that were really bizarre, and the, and the thing is, you know, if you look at, you know, the the run differential overall in the, in the entirety of the season for the Yankees, uh, the amount of mon- runs they scored and the amount of runs they gave up. They actually overachieved. They probably had a team that should have won in the mid 80s, 86 or 87 games. They ended up winning five or six more games than, than their run differential would say. Part of that was you know, uh, the one run games. They won a lot of one run games. Every game they played yeah. was so close. They churned out their bullpen all year long. Some of that residual effect impacted Chapman at the end at times. It looked like he was pitching hurt. He had a split nail, and then he ended up with a little bit of an arm injury. Uh, that kind of explains maybe his his derailing at the midseason point. Um, There's some dramatic blown saves. Yeah, you know, at the end of games, maybe a handful, like five or six. You know, where you had the lead, win probability was ninety percent <laughs> plus, ninety five percent plus, and they ended up losing about five or six games like that that were in the bag. So it was just kind of a weird year to peel back and point your finger at this. This is the one. This is the reason why. Uh, there were several reasons why, and, and to me, it starts at the top with uh, you know Glaber Glaber Torres at shortstop. They finally figured it out, moved him off with shortstop at the end of the year. Now we find out who's going to be the shortstop for the Yankees. That's a big deal moving forward. Yeah, the uh, the DJ LeMahieu stuff you mentioned it it was something that opened my eyes as this became a real job for me. Is that if you see an uh, baseball player, probably any athlete that just seems off and not fully themselves. There's a good chance they're hurt or they have something going on. I know um, Lorenzo Cain a couple years ago, you know, he he was pretty steady, productive player, and he had a really down year. And then we found out after the season, like, oh, yeah, he was he was pretty hurt all year. He pl- tried to play through it. And when you see that happen with DJ, it's, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the one dot OPS, you know, top five MVP guy, but he's not going to be what we saw last year. And that at the top of the lineup, that sets the tone so much for them, too. Yeah, it, it turned out to be, you know, kind of a, dr- a drain, you know, at the top of the order. And that was always a strength for the Yankees was to roll that old, you know, roll it over and, and make it a circular st- style of lineup. So uh, you can't have a circle, you know, if, if, when your leadoff hitter is really struggling. So I agree with that. Uh, they got to figure out. Yeah, they got to figure out where DJ LeMahieu fits. If you sign a shortstop, you move Glaber Torres to second, uh, you bring in Gio Urshela back for third. Yeah, everybody says, "Oh, you can just put him at first base." Yeah, it's yeah. it's a tight squeeze over there. He certainly can handle it, but your profile at first base you, you yields a little more power, I think. You, you, you know, some, somebody with Luke Voigt's offensive profile, somebody like that profiles at first base. I love Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo. We'll see how much he loves the Yankees and what's out there for him. It's kind of going to be a a scramble to see what offers he gets and whether or not uh, the Yankees can match up with Rizzo, but. Uh, I think he fits in that clubhouse pretty well. You know, I know age is a concern. Long-term deals, how much money you're gonna you're gonna uh, commit to him is a big deal. But you know, we'll see. We'll see where the Yankees stand and what matches up. 
Well, and that 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 kind of brings us into this upcoming offseason. I know officially Rizzo and Kluber hit free agency. Not that there was really any anything tied to that, just that it actually happened, so they have to announce it. Um, you know, this offseason, obviously the shortstop is going to be circled with this shortstop class that just doesn't happen in baseball. Guys like this don't hit free agency ever, really, like one at a time, never mind five uh, this year and even with Lindor already getting signed. I think the shortstop's going to be there. Do you – um what what else do you think? I, I guess this could be either your – what you would do if David Cohn was GM for an offseason or how you think they're going to handle it. Do you think – um because there is a ripple effect to all of that. If DJ LeMahieu is playing first base, um, you know, I, I – that can be the move, but if someone like Rizzo comes back, he's at third, and then Geo, there becomes questions there. So, I don't know. I guess what would be your emphasis? I think everyone has the shortstop circled, but then is it getting a little more athletic outside of that, or more balance, or or what would you be looking for? Well, yeah, I think I would be remiss if I didn't start right at the top of the list. And for me, for the New York Yankees right now, the most important thing is Aaron Judge. Mm. He is your best player. One of the best players in the game, the face of your franchise. There's more 99 jerseys out there than anybody else. Yeah, he is got. He has one more year on his, you know, contractual control. You got to make a decision. You know, he's the leader in that clubhouse. Are you going to commit to him? Are you going to pay him right now? This offseason, to me, is the number one priority. If you let this go into next year, and then Aaron Judge becomes kind of a lame duck or sort of uh, somebody who's going to, okay, he's going to find out on free agency. He's going to take his chances and go out there and find out what's on the market. That can be disruptive to your whole clubhouse because he's the guy. He is your guy. So you need to decide, okay, if Aaron Judge is going to be your guy, you get him under under control, get a contract negotiated with him, get it settled, and then that sets the ripple effect all the way down. Because if Aaron Judge is not going to be a Yankee, if he's not in your plans – then right now's the time to trade him too. If you're a front office and you determine that as well, and you got some sort of monster deal out there, uh, now's the time. Because you, if you think you're going to let Aaron Judge just walk with a qualifying offer, you're not getting full value for it. If you're Brian Cashman or you're you're the general manager making that decision, so to me that starts at the top. What is Aaron Judge your guy or not? And then beyond that, yes, all these other questions. Who's the shortstop? How much money do we commit to a shortstop? How close are the prospects? In the, in the minor leagues, whether it's Volpe or Peraza, two good-looking young prospects, yeah. but they're still prospects right now. You're not sure. They're great. Top echelon-type prospects. Um, so, so, yeah, there's a lot of decisions to be made, but you can't make all the other decisions unless you decide whether Aaron Judge is going to be your quarterstone guy or not because he's going to require a big contract, and that's going to impact all the other you know, contracts that you, that you can afford after that. Yeah, that's man. That's a great point. And by the way, I'm I'm laughing because man, did we get you the right producer for towing the slab? Uh, Dan Rourke, the world's <laughs> biggest Aaron Judge fan. He's uh, he has to be so excited for that answer. Um, and yeah, tying it into what just happened in the World Series, obviously different players in different history. But Freddie Freeman, uh, the Braves, they kind of didn't lock him up, and I think part of that was. Due to he won the MVP, which I think maybe they thought was paying him at his peak, but now he has another incredible season. They win the World Series, so yeah, if Judge is your guy, now is the time. Um, and I guess that's that's where the shortstop stuff becomes really interesting because you mentioned the prospects. I think the Yankees are really in on those prospects. Uh, 
Which, so if they got a Corey Seager and you can have the Cole conversation, you slide him to third base, et cetera, Yankees, short porch, are the Yankees then going to have Stanton's big money on the book? Cole, Judge, and then third baseman Corey Seager. Um, I don't know. That, that kind of doesn't add up to me. It's a great point, Jake, and, and, and we don't even know uh, where the luxury tax is going to hit or what kind of compensation system is going to be negotiated. You know, December 1st, uh, the, the, the deal is up. The collective bargaining agreement is up. Uh, there's a lot of different theories being thrown out there, a lot of different ideas. So it's hard to make a budget when you don't know how much money you have to work with or you know where, where the ceilings are going to be because make no mistake about it. People say that baseball doesn't have a hard salary cap functionally they kind of do really i mean the yeah. luxury tax kind of functions as a as a big roadblock right there for a lot of teams so you know we'll see what happens in the in the cba as it gets uh, as it unfolds and is there going to be a lockout strikes only happen during the season just just a, a, as an aside you know players have the ability to strike during the season that's why most major league strikes on the player side have happened towards the end of the year right before postseason because the owners have a lot of money tied up into postseason revenue. Mm. So that's the one point of leverage that the players have. That's already come and gone. Now we're into the offseason. Now we're into lockout territory. If the owners don't like uh, what they're hearing, then they will lock you out. And uh, then the whole the whole thing gets frozen until a, a CBA gets negotiated. And back in the mid-90s, when, that, you know, when you're talking about those sorts of things, you're talking about replacement players back in the mid-90s. I don't think we'll ever get there again. I, you know, we're nowhere near that point in time but we are in a point in time where there's a lot of uncertainty and and you can't move the you can't move anything forward any of your plans forward until you know what the system's going to be that might be uh if that happens the john boy media baseball team bbd at second i'll get some hot corner that might be our best chance there you I, go uh, i i was gonna replacement phrase, i was yeah, i was gonna the phrase replacements it. I was going to phrase the question this way, but I think you already kind of answered it. You were president of the Players Union. Am, am I doing that? Am I saying that right? I was the American League representative. Yeah, okay. and I was part of the executive subcommittee too. Uh, thereby, so yeah, I was I was front and center, you know, in that particular negotiations. Um, so, so do your juices still get going? Like the CBA is up. Like we are in it now. Does that still get you fired up? Well, it does. You know, for me, um, you know, I. I go back to, to Marvin Miller, you know, the original uh, union leader for the baseball players, a remarkable man, just went into the Hall of Fame, which is long overdue. Uh, you know, I, I'll keep it simple. You know, for me, it's, it's, it's always going to be interesting. It's always about rights for the players. You're never going to win an argument when you have billionaire owners and millionaire ball players, and the average Joe out there is making, you know, my dad worked in a meat factory in the graveyard shift. He made 30000 a year. You know, I, I get it. You know, uh, you, you, the heck with you. Screw you all. You know, it, you, overpaid ball players and mil billionaire owners and tax breaks. You know, uh, you know the heck with all of you. But you know, from a player standpoint, you only have so many years to make your hay. And to, for me, it's about freedom issues. Can we get can we get our freedom sooner? You know, you have to wait six years. Aaron Judge has been in the big league six years now. That's a long time. There's a lot of surplus value if you just want to. Take a snapshot of Aaron Judge's career, how much he's been paid, and what his impact has been on the franchise, and how much the Yankees have made as a result of that. That's a hard formula to come up with, but I guarantee you, Aaron Judge has been a bargain for the New York Yankees over the last five years, <laughs> just in yeah. terms of all the jerseys he helped sell, all, all the ratings on the Yes Network that we get. 
the superstardom that that that, that he provides for the Yankees and, and a franchise that needs superstars. Aaron Judge is the guy. Yeah. He is the guy, and he's a deal right now for the Yankees. So now the Yankees have to decide, as we said, now are you going to pay? Are you going to pay up at this point and really reward this guy for for what he's given? But and then again, what what he's got left in the tank as well into his early thirties and mid thirties as he starts to progress in his age. It's uh him uh, obviously like you labeled. I mean, yeah. How do you even put that value into a number? And then uh, the one that always jumps out to me, Luke Voigt. Like he uh that. That's what they really need to figure out. Like Luke Voigt, and again, I th- I think he made four million dollars this year or something, which to anyone is like that's that's a insane amount of money. But now is his only time he can do that. And if he was able to hit free agency, heck, after he won the home run title, what what would Luke Voigt have gotten then? So that's that's what I really want them to figure out because otherwise teams are almost incentivized. To keep a guy in the minor leagues till they're 27 and maybe figure it out, and then you control them until they're 33, and then oh well, here's your one year invite to camp or something like that. It's a great point. You know, you're right at the heart of the matter again, Jake. It's about control, contractual control. Those are some of the buzzwords, buzz terms you hear a lot from major league franchises and front offices. You know, contractual control, surplus value. You know, the, the, these are the things that they're trying to capture right now, and that, that's what they're paid to do. They're executives. They're running – baseball teams are being run like every other Fortune 500 business now. And the, after years of baseball being run in hotel bars on cocktail napkins, <laughs> you know, I mean, those days are over. If you own a, if you own a major league franchise now, you're not going to let that happen. Hey, hey, Billy Martin and so-and-so got together. They had a couple pops, and uh, we got an idea. That's No, no. We don't do that anymore. That's not the way we're going to run this team. This is a billion-dollar franchise, a multi-billion-dollar franchise. So, I kind of, I kind of snicker when I hear those stories about how the game used to used to be run, and they traded Joe DiMaggio for Ted Williams on a cocktail napkin one night back in the back in the forties or fifties. You know, so uh, you know that that that's just uh, no, that's not happening anymore. These teams are well run, but at the same time, from a player standpoint, if you are drafted out of high school. They can control your contract for six years on the minor league level and then another six years on the major league level. So that's 12 years of your life that you're under contractual control, theoretically. Right. Uh, You know, there's a 40-man roster issue and then you have to be protected or you can get drafted by another team. But nonetheless, there's very few restrictions in there in that contractual control over a a player for potentially 12, 12 years. That's where I would argue that needs to be reduced. You know, whatever structure, you know, let's negotiate minimum wages, let's negotiate pension deals, normal union business. But beyond that, let's let's talk about rights and freedom issues. We want we want to reduce that number in the contractual control era, uh, maybe four years on the big league level, maybe four years on the minor league level, maybe arbitration after two years rather than after three years. You know, those are those are the sorts of things that I'd be talking about if I were in the Players Association right now. And yeah, I know, you know, some of our listeners are. Don't get in the weeds with some of that stuff um, But I, I think you laid it out well there And it may be the big conversation of, of the next couple weeks, couple months uh, And it's it's important stuff And it it's it's wild I, Tucker Barnhart got traded the other day And in his uh, like goodbye to Cincinnati letter He was like, you know, when the Reds drafted me in 09 And you're like, wow, he's a He's 31 years old <laughs> and he's, he's been tied to them uh, You know, we don't always put that full picture together 
Um, no, you know, and that's the thing. That's one of the things that some people, you know, I, I'm reluctant to use the term analytics because there's so many different uh, sections under analytics, whether it's biomechanics, whether it's pitcher related, whether it's speed related, whether it's how your body moves, whether it's sabermetrics or front office ideals. Uh, you know, so I'm reluctant to throw that analytics thing under there, you know, in that term and, and blame analytics for, for anything. Uh, I need more. I, I need I need uh, specifics. So, you know, the, the players that have been hurt the most by some of the new theories in front offices and how to run baseball teams is that when you get over 30 years old, you're less valuable and you're less valuable as a direct result of what you, what you would call cheap labor. You know, the minimum wage is too low. The contractual control over players at the beginning of their careers is too great. They can hold them in AAA. They can play with their service time, service time manipulation. That's so valuable to teams, and that devalues the 33-year-old, you know, lifetime outfielder, fourth outfielder type, the guys that can make or break your team. They really help the depth of your team. If you want to be a World Series team, you need to have a good bench. You need to have a good fourth outfielder. You know, on, on the 90s teams, you know who the fourth outfielder was? Daryl Strawberry was our fourth <laughs> outfielder, pretty valuable player. Um, so nowadays, those kind of guys have been devalued because there's so much emphasis on the rookies and the surplus values of the, of the younger players. So uh, that, that to me says, you know, you need to reverse that a little bit. Maybe not make that labor so cheap. Uh, maybe help those players get free a little sooner. And that might help spark some value for the 30-plus players that have been so devalued over the last decade or so. And we just we just kind of saw it, uh, that Braves makeshift outfield that came together. Like it, you know, those guys all ended up on one year deals, pretty much. That um, I I loved Re- Eddie Rosario. I normally uh, I don't I don't do the check the tweets and the receipts and all that 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 people like, but that guy can just flat out hit. And the fact that we value him as like a one year, let's give him a chance and see what happens. That's that doesn't sit right with me. Um, but let's uh I forgot we got we got one more of these. I think we'll do a little more pitching Coney, and then we've got uh we got a little we got some silly David Cohn stuff coming up. Um and that's gonna be brought to us by Roman. Um I was doing my best to get Roman ready for this episode. No John Boy, Coney coming through. Um and if you're having trouble getting Roman ready where it matters, you're gonna want to call Roman. Uh, go to GetRoman.com slash Yanks. They'll set you up with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional about ED. Get $15 off your first month first month of treatment if it is a fit for you. That's $15 off your first month of ED treatment. You're going to want to be ready. It, whether you're the start or the opener, whatever you're doing in there, you're going to want to be ready. You're going to want to be Roman ready. BBD, I saw you perk up over I there. Mean- we all know it's just it's easier to pitch when you know you've got your ace stuff. Mm. You know, you'd rather not. Obviously, you might be smart enough to figure it out, but you don't want to <laughs> have to. What's what's the new Knicks line? Bing bong? Is that what it bing is? Bing bong. bong. <laughs> you, you want to have your good bing bong ready to go. Uh, <laughs> go to GetRoman.com slash Yanks today. And if you're prescribed $15 off your first month of ED treatment, make sure you have the confidence and control this fall. Get Roman ready. Um Coney, I, I was just I, our conversation we just had in our head. We didn't talk about the pitching too much, and that's because it was so good this year that it almost went unnoticed. I, I mean, the names that jumped to jump to my head, Nestor. I mean, what an incredible season and some artwork when he's on the mound. And and I wonder, we've had the conversation a couple times, and we just talk in a circle. Like, what do you do with him? 
next year because he's a he is a young starting pitching pitcher that some of the numbers really like and some of the old school numbers really liked where his ERA landed this year and all that stuff. Uh, what do you do with that? I mean, it's you need arms through the year, but do you slot him into the rotation or you say you're our six and we'll figure it out? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think you need to limit him to anything because he is so versatile. He can do anything for you, and he seems to be very durable too. His arm uh, really bounced back. He retained his stuff throughout his starts from start to start. He, he was always the guy that, would, that we heard that would go into Aaron Boone's office and say, if you need me for an inning in between starts down the stretch run, I'm available. So mm. that's a that's sign number one that's really good for me as a guy that's kind of got a little David Wells in him, right? A kind of little bit of a rubber arm in the old school saying. He looks like he's that kind of guy, and that's so valuable in any role. Uh, you're right, Jake. I mean, you, you try to pick him apart and say, is he lucky? Is this true? Can I believe what we saw there? Uh, is he going to turn into a pumpkin at some point? He throws the ball 91, 92 miles an hour, maybe 93. Uh, actually, his velocity was up this year compared to the past, which tells me he got himself into shape. A lot of these pitchers are training with weighted balls now, and they're really pushing the the envelope with regard to velocity training. Nestor's one of those guys. It made all of his pitchers better. Uh, he also has uh, some deception built into his delivery, and mm-hmm. uh, not just the hesitation and all the funky machinations out there. Uh, his release point uh, kind of gets a little extra riding action, lift. The big thing in pitching now is making the lift in your pitches on four-seam fastballs, uh, the riding action, uh, the rise, as they say, even though that's you know the, the ball doesn't actually rise, it just drops less. Uh, but nonetheless, you can fool the hitters with that little life. I call it jackrabbit movement, a little darting movement through the zone. You see it on blitz ball when you throw your four-seamer <laughs> that has that riding and lift effect. It's the same thing with baseball, just not as much, obviously, as the the blitz ball. Nestor Cortez has that, and he does it a different way. Uh, most most pitching coaches back in the day would teach you to throw the ball downhill, throw the throw your four seamer downhill. Nestor does it; he throws it uphill. He gets underneath it, pops it, and it rides that way for him. And that's deception. And we see a lot of hitters foul off his fastball. They're late. They foul it off. They foul it off. They miss it. And the next thing you know, he's got two strikes on you. And he's got pretty good control, and he knows how to pitch. And now he'll throw his backdoor slider. He'll throw it in. Uh, he's got good sweeping action on his slider. He made some adjustments there. I give Matt Blake and the pitching instructors all the way down through uh, a lot of credit because the, the pitch design uh, of a lot of their pitchers, including Nestor Cortez, uh, were excellent this year, and they do deserve credit for that. Yeah, and it, it feels the the new wave of pitching because it was, it was all four-seam for a little bit there, and then – the sinker made a huge return this year. I mean, Johnny Laza, Clay Holmes, uh, whatever Mike King was throwing for a little bit. My goodness. Um, it, it, it feels kind of what you've been saying on the broadcast for a few years now is kind of empower guys to throw their good stuff. Um, if you throw that good sinker, throw that good sinker, and we'll work around that. Um, and I think that is a confidence thing that you talk about. Um, what's the word you always use? Conviction. Yes, conviction. Conviction is, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, did, did he call the right pitch or pitch selection? Do you get caught up in the selection process? Oh, you know, he's, he's putting down the wrong fingers back there. That's why I need my own personal catcher. No, no, it's really, <laughs> if you throw the wrong pitch with conviction, a lot of times it's going to work. It's fine. You get caught up in the selection instead of the execution process. If you execute and throw a pitch with conviction, then that's the right pitch more times than not. 
you know, there are ex- exceptions to the rule. There, there always has been, depending on the hitter. You know, a Hall of Fame style of hitter, Ken Griffey Jr., changes the equation. But nonetheless, by and large, conviction might be the most important thing for a pitcher to have. I mean, uh, and, and also amnesia for mm. a pitcher. Forget quickly. You give up a three-run home run, you forget right now. You got all night to talk, think about that one, you know, and stay up all night and think about the, the hanging slider mm. you just threw. In the heat of the battle, if you can forget, if you can just have amnesia and quickly move on to the next pitch, uh, the better off you are as well. Did you practice that? That's something that uh, has recently blown my mind about pitchers. You give up a three-run homer. You're pissed at yourself. You feel like you let down the team. Like, is Does it just come with age, or is it something you have to practice like anything else? You definitely have to practice it, and it does come with experience and the more reps you get, and it comes with a, an understanding of the big picture a little bit more. You know, when you're a young player, when you're a young anything in any business, you're kind of self-absorbed, right? You're in your own little world. You're worried about your niche, developing your own brand, whatever that may be. The more reps you get and the more experience you get, you see the big picture a little bit more and you understand, you know, what's more important and, and what, where, where should your values be. And you do have to train at letting it go, forgetting, putting that behind you. An umpire just blew a call. You're on the mound, you blow a gasket, and then it affects the next two pitches after that because you're still pissed about the umpire missing that call, that, that call two pitches ago. So... It, it sounds like a cliche. It sounds, uh, you know, like uh, Ted Lasso, maybe. <laughs> maybe I'm, I'm preaching Ted Lasso. I do kind of believe in Ted Lasso, yeah. a little bit, to tell you the truth. Some of that stuff makes sense, you know, even though it's kind of corny and whatever whatever you want to say, cliche-ridden. But th- there is some truth in some of those cliches. And for a pitcher, the ability to compartmentalize things and put it behind you. And I, I keep getting back to Bernie Williams. Bernie Williams of the year he won the batting title. I went up to him at the end of the year and said, "What do you, man? You're in such, you're an unbelievable groove. What do you think about when you go up to the plate and hit?" And very matter of factly, he said, "Nothing, nothing. <laughs> I'm a blank. I'm a blank page. You know, I, I just see the ball and I hit it. And uh, there's a freedom in that to be able to go about life like that, right? Or in anything you do, there's it frees you up. You know, it frees frees up your mind where you, you're not worried about every step you make you know, or trying to recognize everything. You just trust your you trust your own stuff." Yeah, I, uh, man, Bernie, I forgot. I got to meet him just for like a half second this year, and that was my guy growing He's up. He's the best. Man, um, I owe, I owe Joe's McFly for life. I wasn't going to grab him. Like, Bernie was making moves, and I was like, hey, let him be. I don't want to. Joe's kind of reached out a big bear paw. I was like, Bernie, this is my guy. I was like, ah. Oh. Uh, so I owe, I'm in debt to Joe's forever. Very um, nice. Let's, uh, Let's do a little bit of the silly stuff. BBD, do you have the uh, the clip? Um, we got a, a couple center stage clips that we wanted to bring up of a couple of your friends. Wildest or craziest teammate? Oh, David Cohn. Really? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll never know it either. <laughs> Wildest or craziest teammate? Wow. Take your pick from 86. That's tough. For you, it's tough. Take your pick from but I'll probably take this or not. I would say David Cohn. Really? Yes. Doc. Doc? David for you. He's a, he's a very smart, intelligent guy, but he's sick. He, he's, he's a little crazy. He is crazy. Good call crazy. me sick. So, <laughs> so uh, our Erica, who's been helping out with a ton of research stuff lately, she's great. Um, she showed me that yesterday. And, Coney, I'll be honest, I took a step back because everyone, you know, Kester always throws a couple lines out there. That is David Wells and Dwight Gooden. Saying that you are their craziest teammate all time. 
That's a little, yeah, that, it, I don't know how to take that. You know? <laughs> and I can't deny it because it's all true. So, I mean, there were, there were, there was a day. Yeah. You know, Jake, you could have played for those nineties Yankees. You'd have fit right <laughs> in. I'm telling you, you would have been right in the middle of everything. Um, there, you know, I got out just in time too, right before cell phones yeah. Twitter, and social media. So we could, we could get away with some of the things we did. It was about camaraderie. We hung together. We, you know, if you were part of the, the New York Mets in the eighties or the Yankees of the nineties, when we went on the road, it's like, where are we going to dinner tonight? Let's go. There's be 10 guys together, 15 guys yeah. together. Hey, let's go to this steakhouse or this restaurant's great. Or we're in Seattle or we're in wherever, you know, where are we going guys? Let's go. We're on the plane. And that was part of that. I miss that probably more than anything, Jake, is, is that part of the game. And I know a lot of players feel that way. You hear that answer a lot. And any player we've talked to and it, and it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's camaraderie. It's, I think anyone that played Athletics, even in the high school sports, the stories from the back of the bus or whatever you were doing, and then you multiply that by getting a little older, maybe a little money, and yeah, it's it, it the recipe is there. It's there, and you know, I I I think I can relate to the modern player a little bit. You know, I got burned one time. Um, you know, I used to I was the guy that would that would be the party coordinator. You know, let's get everybody together, let's go to this place, um, this restaurant, this hotel. And after 1997, we lost to the Indians. It was the Mariano Rivera gave up the home run to Sandy Alomar Jr. Mm -hmm. They knocked us out of the playoffs. It's a short flight from Cleveland. Our season's over. And so I call a buddy of mine that's got a bar down in the West Village, and I say, you know what? Our guys are really down. Uh, We just want to come and drown our sorrows a little bit. Let's go have it. You know, I told all our guys, Bernie, all the guys on the plane, hey, let's stay together. You know, it was a tough loss. But we won the World Series in 96. We just got knocked out in 97. Let's hang. Nobody's going to go to sleep tonight. Here, I got a buddy who's got a place. Let's go down there. Let's all meet there. So several of the guys come and meet me down there. Somebody had a camera at that bar and took a bunch of pictures. Mm. And about four hours later, on the front page of the New York Post was Yankee Panky. So it was was portrayed as like we didn't care. We were flippant. We just just lost a huge game in the playoffs. And it was anything but that, Jake. It was more of just trying to keep that camaraderie going and, and, you know, drown our sorrows together. And George Steinbrenner called me the next day, but he read me the right act, Jake, like I've never heard before. I just listened. I'm yeah. pro- I was pretty good with the boss. I could give it back to him a little bit and tease him. <laughs> that was one time when I said, it's my fault. I put the thing together, Mr. Steinbrenner. It's all on me. Nobody else knew anything. It, it was my bad judgment. I take, I'll take the heat on it. And he just kept going. <laughs> he yeah. kept going and, Read me the right act like I've never heard before, but Yankee Panky, nineteen ninety-seven. Yankee Panky, that's what a lot of what we do on here. Yeah, and I, uh, man, I, I know, I, I can speak on judgment calls in different ways, and I think that's a, uh, that's one when you're younger, you know, at the time you get in trouble was the time you weren't actually getting in trouble, <laughs> and that's uh, that's when it stings just a little more, but you still just got to eat it at that point. That's exactly right. I mean, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Apparently, it wasn't. Didn't work out so well. <laughs> so, um, Coney, dude, we got that great clip, and this we'll, we'll start wrapping it up around here. The clip of you dancing in the Yes booth this year. You know that obviously speaks to me. You let it rip. I mean, that was you were going. Um, is that does David Cohn still bust that out, or is it? Are, are you more of a like let's get in the back room and 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 we'll go and we'll we'll exchange stories or do you still bust out your dancing shoes what's uh what's it like it's been a while you know that that's right in my wheelhouse i mean that's 
you know, I was in the minor leagues in in the eighties, the early eighties, you know, and that was it for us. You know, I, I stayed, I stayed at uh, a place called the interstate Inn in Omaha, mm. Nebraska. And on off days, happy hour, they had free chicken wings and they had a dance floor. And that's what you, you went there and that was dinner because you got free chicken wings. You bought yourself a Coors Light or whatever. And then you ask girls to dance, you know, that's how you, you know, you're a single kid, you're lonely, you're in Omaha, Nebraska, you're at happy hour at five o'clock and there's a little, there's a little square dance floor over there. And you can, you can believe it, Jake, I was all over that, you know, just uh, every year in the minor leagues back in the eighties, it was the thing to do. Yeah. It's a little harder nowadays, I think, to find those kind of places to go to, but yeah, it can be found, but yeah, I'm, I don't move as fast as I once did, but that was, that was my game back then, you know, right, yeah. right on, right on the heels of disco and new wave music. And there was kind of a convergence back there in the eighties. Uh, you know, I think Roxanne police, the police and Roxanne, remember Eddie Murphy, oh, singing yeah. Roxanne and, and, uh, <sighs> yeah, his famous movie. That, that was that era right then, yeah. right then. So a lot of convergence of music styles back then. Yeah. We, we went up to Somerset for a little bit they let us play blitz ball on the field and we got to mix it up with those guys and they were they were all stoked cuz they were playing a weekend set uh, against Brooklyn so you know bunch of minor league guys get to go to Brooklyn for the weekend play a little ball enjoy the enjoy the city a little bit and it's like oh yeah you're guys yes exactly and and you you speak a different language when you're together yeah there's an easiness around each other you you, you talk differently when you're around you know a group of like-minded individuals that have something in common like baseball or, or really anything, you know, pick, pick an industry, you know, those people, those type of people get together that are at or near the top of their profession. They, they speak a different language. All right. I've got last silly question. Uh, he's one of our friends for a while. He's one of our first friends, Jack Curry, who uh, I think, you know, pretty well put together, put together a pretty nice book. Um, has he ever been disheveled? Like, has he ever, have you ever seen him in, like, gray sweats and a tank top? Like, he always, he's always on cue, man. He's tight, isn't he? He really tight. is. <laughs> he's, I don't, I can't say that I've, I, I ever have. No, I know he's a runner. Uh, you know, the Jake, the thing about Jack and Pamela, his wife, is that they're extremely talented, both of them. And when you go to parties with them, they'll break out a little, uh, a little act where they rap. You know, they can, really? you know, old school, you know, they got a little back and forth. They bounce it back and forth. They're musically very inclined. Jack, I would put Jack Curry's music knowledge, especially in, 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 in the genre of reggae in, in, uh, old school, you know, kind of new wave or, you know, alternative early, early classic alternative music. Jack Curry's knowledge is up there with anybody I've ever met. So yeah, he's a button down guy, hard guy to get. And, you know, I was listening to music when I was dancing there. They were at Fenway Park and they were playing <laughs> some funky like uh, uh, Latin rock music. And I was trying to get it going. I don't know why I threw on the Megan the Stallion at the end there. But, sure. you know, you just get carried away. And uh, I, it's embarrassing. That was like a hanging slider for me, Jake, right there. <laughs> I can never get that back. You just that, couldn't. That's out there now. It's yeah. gone. You watch, you watch the replay of that pitch. It just never bites. No, that, that's going to be there forever. Little cement mixer in the middle, uh, man. Uh, I I love that video. That was you were moving, Coney. That's <laughs> I was not trying. you know. I was trying. Some of those other booths around the country, they'd say we're dancing <laughs> in the booth, and it you know it, it would be half that speed. So it don't look like that. No, no. Um, Coney, appreciate you so much. Um, Toe in the slab. We couldn't be more excited. Uh, the fact that. 
you're linked with us and it's a part of what we're trying to do for baseball. Like have fun, um, educate people on the game. It's uh it's it's the perfect fit. And uh I know Shackle and Smythe, they're both great and they're so excited to be a part of it too. So um thank you for this. I know John John is very jealous he's not a part of this, but he uh he very much appreciates you step stepping up. My pleasure, Jay. Good to be on the same team with you guys as well. Awesome. I'll, uh, look forward to it. Many, many, uh, many other times we can get together and uh, talk about whatever we want to talk about. That's the beauty here, right? You can. There's a thousand different things we can talk about on any given night. And so, yeah, that's it. I look forward to more chances to do it. Awesome, uh, David Cohn, you are the best. Thank you so much. Uh, do we need to tell the Talking Yanks people anything else, BBD? No, we'll see them Tuesday, Thursday. Tuesday, Thursday, through the offseason. So uh, thank you, everyone. Tweet at David Cohn that he's the best because he is. Um, And we will probably see you guys on Tuesday. Coney, I'm going to New Orleans, actually, right after this. Uh, The girlfriend has a friend's wedding down there. Any spots for me? Oh, you got to just meander down the French Quarter there. It's a must. You know, there's so many places you could go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it just you never know what you're gonna run into in Narlands. Yeah, I not feel, New Orleans, Narlands. Narlands. I, I feel <laughs> like I'm gonna find a place pretty easily. Um, yeah, there's lots <laughs> to choose from. All right, thank you so much, Coney. Everyone else, have a great weekend, um, and we'll see you soon. And let's go, Yanks. Tell them, Grandma. Go Yankees.